Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. It must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to register for NDC London, January 28th to February 1st. Back in the QE2 Conference Center in Westminster. Yep. And there's a great lineup of speakers. And of course, Scott Hanselman is coming back. And our friend Tess Ferrandez. So go to ndc-london.com to register. And if that isn't awesome enough, NDC is coming to Portugal. The new show is coming to Porto February 26th to March 1st. Two days of workshops and two days of conference. So go to ndcporto.com to register before December 31st and get early bird pricing. And get this, NDC is also coming to Copenhagen March 27th through 29th at DGIBN. It's two days of workshops and a one-day conference. Go to ndcmini.com to learn more. The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Chasing those spyware pop-ups and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with your hosts Carl Franklin and Rory Blythe. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 96 with guest Robert Hurlbut, recorded live Friday, January 14th, 2005. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VBNet and ASP.NET classes remotely. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, Microsoft Technologies' in-depth for IT managers and developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And by Telerik RAD Controls, the UI essentials for rapid ASP.NET development, online at www.telerik.com. And now, the man who penned the palindrome, oh, but to have Bev, a hot tub hoe, Carl Franklin. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Welcome to .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. I'm your host, Carl Franklin, with show number 96, with my guest, Robert Hurlbut, and uh, who has been educating me on the correct pronunciation of his name. And uh, thank you for joining us, as always. Um, this week, I'm sad to say, Rory will not be joining us, and uh, I just want you to, to pass on a little message from Rory. He's sorry that he can't be with us lately. Uh, he has actually gotten uh, kind of sick. He's got uh, a bronchi- bronchitis, and as you notice, that he's been uh, sort of coughing and spitting and stuff, and I think, you know, traveling all over the world as he does, uh, you know, you're bound to pick up a few friends. So uh, I think that's what he's going through. And, and uh, even if he wasn't sick, he says he's kind of just tired and burned out and needs a break. So Rory's just taking a little break, and he will be back, so don't sweat that. Um, so uh, without any further ado, I guess I'm just going to introduce Robert, who is here actually in the studio with me tonight. Uh, Robert Hurlbut is an independent software developer and consultant and owner of Hurlbut Consulting Incorporated. Robert's also a recent Microsoft MVP for Visual C Sharp. He specializes in application security, distributed architectures, and database architecture and development. When not developing software, Robert speaks on security, application development, database development, and developer best practices to clients and user groups across the country. Robert is the leader of the Boston Code Brew Group, an extension of the existing Boston Ineta groups, he also speaks at industry conferences, including WinDev, CodeCamp, and Heartland Developers Conference. Robert is passionate about secure and least privileged development and will remind you to try running and developing as a non-administrator on your machine. His latest interests are security penetration testing, secure plug-in architectures, and the new SQL Server 2005 service broker. 
You can reach Robert directly by email, robert at hurlbutconsulting.com. That's H-U-R-L-B-U-T dash consulting.com. He also has a .NET blog at uh, weblogs.asp.net slash rhurlbutt and a SQL Server blog at sqljunkies.com slash weblog slash rhurlbutt. And for some reason, I just have a, pro- a hard time with rhurlbutt. Uh, welcome. Thank you, Carl. Good to be here. Yeah, great to have you in the studio. Uh, Boston, not too far away, obviously. Uh, yeah, not pretty, too bad. Pretty easy trip for you. Yeah. So um, before we get into the security stuff, which is absolutely very cool, um, I'll, tell me a little bit about yourself, like how you got started in programming, because I'm, I'm always curious when I, when I come upon experts that I don't really know very well, you know, how did you get, how did you get into it? How did you catch the, bu- the bug of programming? Well, actually, my background, my start was in math and physics way back wow. when. I was uh, actually, I thought I was going to be a physicist when I was much younger. I, I studied physics from really young, actually, uh, 13, 14, something like that. Wow. When most people are out doing whatever. I was learning relativity and, and just quantum, quantum mechanics and quantum theory and just trying to understand the world, if you will, yeah. in physics. And then when I got to college, I switched to math. Because I, I just like that part better. I was I was thinking theoretical right. physics anyway. So I thought that was what I was going to do. I was going to the academia. That that was my mm-hmm. goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really it was while I was in college, I was working uh, for the government. I got a government job right out of high school. Wow. And essentially what they said for me to do was do data entry. And I said, okay, great. And by the fourth year, you'll do some programming. Uh-huh. And within a month, I was actually – programming some things and doing the data entry for my, for me. <laughs> and so I just went from there and then, of course, took some courses in college as well mm-hmm. uh, and just continued in it. I, I said, this is, this is great. I, I like this. And so by the time I got out of college, I said, you know, what do I do now? I thought about uh, continuing on with some math uh, in academia, but then I said, no, software is it. So I went to work for a software company and just never really looked back. What was the technology of the day? I mean, if you don't mind dating you yourself. Uh, my first real job of software development was C on um, IBM 386, or, uh, PC 386. Okay. Uh, Windows sort of was there, but we were really doing everything in DOS. All uh, right, but it was definitely PC-based. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Yeah, it was, it was PC-based. I mean, when I worked for the government, we did some prime mainframe work, which I don't know if that how if that dates me. I was doing Fortran and things like that, but first software development was definitely PC. Awesome. So uh, what do you think, I, and, and you know, I'm just curious about this because Jeff and I were talking about this before, and it seems like, uh, you know, every time I teach a class or I meet a bunch of programmers, I hear the same thing over again, you know. It's amazing how, like, m- there's so many musicians as programmers. So I'm, I've been thinking a lot lately about what drives people to programming, and you know, what What half of the brain is it that you like about it? Is it the puzzle solving? You know, is it like the, the or is it the elegance of the machine itself? I mean, what what is it that's really attractive to you about programming? I, I think uh, the problem solving. I yeah. think trying to figure out, wrestle. I mean, that's, I, I consider myself to be, uh, in a way, a plumber wrestling. Yeah. I, I like wrestling with problems, trying to figure out what's the best okay. way to get this done uh, and, and, and just hitting it until it, it's finally finished and ready to go. Yeah. So when did you uh, get, uh, jump on the .NET bandwagon? I think it was – well, I've been reading about it probably uh, actually around the alpha beta, but I didn't really get to, to actually use it until around beta 2 mm-hmm. uh, when it was finally available. I was doing a couple other things uh, at the time, uh, some other development. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then .NET came around and finally got a hold of it and just fell in love with it, just loved it, started using it, and uh, yeah. I've been doing it since. Awesome. Yeah, that's the way it goes, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't look back. No. Nope. Cool. All right. So on to, to your topic of interest here, which is obviously a hot topic these days, you know, security, penetration testing, uh, least privilege, um, big hot topic. Uh, how would you, if you were speaking to a, a group of people or sitting down to talk to somebody about this for the first time, how would you, how would you introduce that? Well, I think about... Secure. I mean, for me, security has, has definitely become an interest more and more over the last couple of years, especially. Uh, I think right. it was anyway before. But one thing that I've noticed, uh, security is one of those things that cuts across many different 
subjects. Yeah. You know, I could be a, a database person. I could be a, a GUI person. I could be a middleware. I could be any of those, specialize in any of those. And every single one of those security touches in some way or another. Hey, you mentioned GUI. I mean, that's you, you don't think of that, but there was a GDI plus JPEG vulnerability recently. Right, right. Yeah, it does. It it cuts across the entire thing. So that's one one reason why I liked it, and one reason that I talk to many different people, many different groups, and can deal wherever they are with the issues that they're dealing with mm. currently. I, I can talk about the UI. I can talk about, for example, uh, SQL injection. If you're doing a website, and right. you know, how do I know that if I present a website that someone can't get in through a form, through mm. a field that mm. may be open because I'm using uh, concatenated strings inside of my, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in my query. Mm -hmm. uh, that's you know, again, some UI that goes all the way back through all the layers to your database. Right. So that's I think way how I would approach it is uh, think about what you're doing and how security actually can affect anything that you're doing, and then you start thinking about well, how do I actually develop while thinking about security? Yeah. That's the trick, isn't it? Because, you know, when you develop, you you typically don't – developers typically don't want to be encumbered by rules and limitations. And how, you know, how can you reconcile that? Can you actually – we talked with Don Kiley about this topic a little bit too. And, uh, you know, he seems to, to think that, yes, you can with, you know, certain workarounds and, and tricks, you know, actually do all the work that you still need to do while running as a regular old user. So you you obviously agree with him. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, myself, Don, uh, Keith Brown, several others are uh, actually very been very adamant about this. I, you know, I, I found that myself. I caught on to that, uh, I think, again, about a year or more ago. Mm. Off and on, I've been running that way, uh, you know, just like everybody else. Everybody I tell yeah. this to or, or talk about it with, they say, well, you know, I tried it, but it it's too hard. I go back. And, and I did right. the same thing. But eventually I said, I got I to gotta do it. I keep talking about it. But then there are some cases and sometimes where I wasn't. And so I, I said, I've got to you know, bite the bullet and just learn how to do it across the board. And why is it important that you develop that way rather than just uh, you know, develop with admin privileges and then test your application uh, in, a, in a more restricted context? Well, there are really a couple reasons why. Uh, one... One big reason is because not not obviously not everybody, but a lot of users are running that way as well, mm -hmm. and they, I mean that's how they live their lives, especially in corporate environments uh, outside yeah. of development. They're running that way. They're taking your software, trying to run it, and if you developed as an admin and you've put all the constraints in there, you're not even realizing it. You're opening and writing to files in the program files area or other kinds of restricted places, and then you distribute your application, and they run that, try to run that application. Someone else installs it for them, and they try to run that application. They're going to have problems because they're not running as right. administrators. So, that, so that's one big reason is your users are not doing that. Why not for you? Right. Uh, the other thing is uh, as you run as administrator, you open yourself up to things, especially as we live in a connected world our computers are not isolated. We do connect to the internet. We mm -hmm. do get email. We do get other things mm -hmm. that are coming into our computers. Anything that comes in, any process that comes in and runs while we're running as administrator runs with the same privilege that we have. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a thing that's called uh, zero-day defects or, or um, threats. Uh, basically, all that means is as I'm running as administrator – Something may come in, a virus or whatever, mm -hmm. I may, and there may not be a patch yet. Now, mm. uh, this doesn't happen as often as you think, but it can happen. It has happened. Right. I have no way to guard against that. And if I'm running as administrator, that comes in, and I run it, or, or and, and there's nothing that's catching that, then all of a sudden now I'm affected. You know, it's funny you brought that up because I just installed on that laptop that you're using right there, Microsoft's anti-spyware beta. And I have used both AdAware Professional, I bought AdAware, and I also downloaded and donated to SpyBot's uh, Search and Destroy. And neither of those two did the job of catching spyware as it was installing and mm. running. However, Microsoft's version, Microsoft's tool does that. And I applaud Microsoft for, for being able to catch the stuff as it's trying to install itself and run. 
Have you uh, have you played with this at all? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I, I, I all those other tools as well, and including Microsoft's new tool. I just actually posted on that, I believe, yesterday. I've uh, been playing with that. Uh, it looks pretty good. Yeah, it, it looks like it works really well. The only thing that I have an issue with is that I found I, I'm running as non admin. Yeah, I installed it as admin. I used uh, Aaron Margosis tool. Uh, Aaron yeah. Margosis has a really nice tool, Make Me Admin. Right, Make that me allows admin. me uh, temporarily to to place my user into the administrator group, install mm. software. And then take me out as soon as I'm done. What's better about that from run as, right-click run as? The main reason why you'd want to do something like that is uh, some of the pieces of software, like, for example, the Google search when it came out, although I don't use that either, but yeah. um, they will automatically associate everything that you're doing with the user that installed it. Okay. So if I'm an administrator and I install it as administrator, then everything may be associated. It'll set up everything oh, for that user. Oh, It'll right. set up my groups. It'll set up all kinds of things. True. To, and then when I'm running as I my regular it. user, I can't find it. So if you just elevate your privilege, it's still associated with your account. And then, of course, you go back to a regular old schmuck and you're, you're, you're just a regular guy. Exactly. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But the thing I found... That's a, that's a great reason right there. It, it is. The thing I found, there was some issue with... It was it was it was uh, moving uh, this dialog box a hundred miles an hour on the side of the screen uh, when it would try to tell me that something is happening yeah. and, and so I, I mentioned this and a couple people said hey I think I know what it is and so uh, you know but otherwise it's it's, it's a great tool mm. but that's the other thing that's interesting just that in itself is when I'm running as non admin I find out problems like that. I find right. out, and, and I know I Don yeah. has written a lot on that as well on his own blog. Uh, I find problems where I'm, I'm trying to run. I'm a regular user, and I think this should work a certain way. I expect it to work a certain way, the same way that mm. if I was administrator. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm seeing screens not painting correctly. Yeah. I'm seeing uh, you know things fly up that shouldn't be, you know, all kinds of things that might happen, yeah. uh, errors that I might see. So that goes back to... The developers, unfortunately, did not develop as non-admin. Yeah. And they may not even test it as non-admin, yeah. but they certainly didn't develop as non-admin. Right. And so that goes back to my first thing is why you would want to consider running and developing as non-admin. Yeah, you know, it's true that uh, most developers – and I'm, I'm watching the, the stuff fly by in the chat room here, uh, in the IRC chat room. And, uh, you know, most of the people are saying, man, what a waste of time. I, you know, I'm too lazy to do that. Uh, you know, there's no way I would do that. It's – you know, such a such a pain in the ass, and uh, you know that that I guess has been and still is the popular attitude among developers. But but I've been on the other side of it too, where just like you said, I've installed stuff and you know stuff from Microsoft, stuff from big vendors that uh, you know they they expect you to be running as admin because that's what we've done up until now. Right. So now there have been some tools that have come out. Uh, various people, Michael Howard. Uh, my friend Valerie uh, Pernikov, I think that's how he's pronounced his name, hmm. uh, has put together a couple tools that if you're running as admin, he says, for example, Valerie, my friend Valerie says, if you're running as admin and you have nerd friends who are not, <laughs> uh, but you want to be able to occasionally fire up in a session uh, that is non-admin right. without having to type in your long password and so forth, he's got some tools that allow you to do that, hmm. uh, to fire up a session you keep it in a in a down in the uh, toolbar, and you you click on it, and you say, "Okay, I want to run Internet Explorer, for example." And this is a little bit slightly different than Run As, but it does something similar hmm. without having to log in. So then, I automatically set up my user; it fires up. Now I've got a secure session or a least privileged session. That doesn't solve everything, but it definitely is some attempts. So there are some tools that are coming out for those who are running as admin, but would like to have some sessions while shells while they're running uh, to run as uh, you know, yeah. non-admin and the other way around. I mean, as a non-admin, I also keep a, a box up or, or I mean a command shell, for example, or uh, you know, I sometimes fire up explore with run as so that I can actually do something. Uh, so it, it's not that I'm completely living in the non-admin world. It's just yeah. that in my main shell, whatever I'm doing, I am definitely running as non-admin. How do you solve the uh, uh, updates problem? Because you have to be an admin to get updates on XP, 
And typically when you need updates is when you're infected. And so, you know, trying to slog through that uh, disaster right. is a real pain in the ass. Well, unfortunately, I think that, again, it's where the OS uh, is is putting a, a damper on right. being able to do that. So uh, right. just like everybody else, yeah. unfortunately, I do have to occasionally go back and check right. what's going on. Right. Uh, obviously, now we know from Microsoft when those things come out, when sure. patches and so sure. forth. So I know the time that I need to check. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, have you checked out, and uh, I think Don Kiley mentioned this um, website, Neo Valens. Have you heard of this company? I have, yes. I, I haven't had a chance to review Neo, it yet, but I, I have yeah. seen it, yes. Neo Exec is their tool, and I'm just reading from there. And this, you know, they didn't pay me to say this. I'm just, it's relevant, so I'm bringing it up. And I haven't checked it out either, but it's an operating system extension for Windows 2000 XP and 2003 that allows the setting of privileges at the application level rather than at the user level. Which, in other words, you say, when I run this application, I want to run with this user right. and its privilege set. And when I run this application, I want to run, et cetera. So that way, you can essentially you know, run as an administrator, except for IE, which could run in a severely restricted uh, uh, you know, mode. Right, right. That's pretty cool, I think. Or the other way around, for that matter. Sure. You run sure. as a user all the time and... Uh, you know, and and the things that need the administrator privileges, get them. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of good tools out there. It's just unfortunate that we're having to do all these, run through all these hoops and jump through all these hoops in order to, yeah. to do this. Well, I see it as evolution, right? You know, there's been a new problem that has sort of been thrust upon us, uh, Windows users anyway. Of course, you know, it's been a problem forever. But, you know, this problem, the, the big problem with IE and spyware and has really you know, brought it into sharp focus and uh, made the computer unusable in some instances. So so because of that, uh, all these great tools are coming out and, you know, some not so great and some great. And after a while, you know, we'll find out which ones work and which ones don't. And like I said, I really, really like the anti-spyware tool from Microsoft. Um, I've only been running it for a couple of days, but it got rid of everything that was on my machine, first of all. And I noticed while I was using the machine, uh, you know, a little box would pop up and say, you know, such and such EXE is trying to install itself. Uh, do you want to block it or allow it? Or such and such EXE is trying to change the start page of IE. Really cool. I mean, that's awesome, you sure. know, to be able to cut that stuff off when it's happening. Because I've, you know, never seen either of the other, any of the other tools do that. Very Excellent. cool. Yeah. So, so what are the challenges uh, that you? What are the things that you have to work around when developing in Visual Studio? And I asked the same thing of Don, uh, Kylie, but you know, it's always good to to hear it. Well, actually, interesting thing is there are a lot of things that actually still run while you're running as non-admin. Uh, it's gotten better. I have to say that. There were a few years ago when we were using the older tools, Visual Studio 6 and, and previous, that it was much more difficult uh, to do this. With mm -hmm. Visual Studio .NET 1 and 1.1's versions, um, or two, 2002, 2003 rather, uh, it's been much easier, much easier. I, I, I would say that I'm able to develop most things. Now, there are some things, uh, for example... It, uh, you know, if I'm doing strong names, if I'm building my key and so forth, I do have to shell out to an admin and, mm -hmm. and, and do that sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, I'm able to do quite a few things. The other thing that I've been able or had to do is to get ASP.NET to debug. Yeah. You know, that right. has been an, an interesting problem. I There's a couple of ways around that. Uh one that Keith Brown favors, which I think is a good idea, and I've used that as well, is you know why why take all you know, why go through all that trouble to do that uh, to set up because what's happening is right. you need to be in a debuggers group. Yeah, you need a debugger privilege, which essentially is an administrative privilege. Mm -hmm. So rather than go through all the steps of trying to get your limited user to have that privilege, mm. just fire up a session of the developer environment as administrator. Yeah. And just run it that way. Right. Now, I've tried that also an occasion 
And sometimes when I'm trying to debug, I'm in that session, it fires up a page, but I don't see it mm. <laughs> because yeah. it's in the administrator session and I'm not running as administrator. So I've had that happen. So I went through the steps mm. of actually uh, there's a, a tool called ASP. Uh, let's see. I believe it's um, it's not Reg IAS. It's something else. I oh, can't it's remember. In the, it's in the framework. It's on the framework. It's something you download. Okay. Uh, ASP.NET Reg IAS, I think, or something like that. That allows That's a framework tool, but well, no, then it's not that. It's something else. I know what you. I know what. Yeah. And if I don't have my laptop, okay. Well, whatever. Anyway, we'll find it. We'll yeah. find it. But anyway, it allows me to to basically create uh, my user and password, uh, put it into the registry, encrypt it. Because what do I have to do? I have mm. to basically make the worker process as me, yeah. as, a non, as a limited user. And I can right. do that in the machine config. I can put my name and password in there. Right. But now it's open text. Right. That tool allows me to do that, but also encrypt it and place it inside of the registry. Mm. And so it just grabs that. And so when I, I'm actually debugging, I'm not having that open up, open in the uh, machine config. I'm able to debug as me, as my user. I'm, I'm taking care of the process as me, mm. uh, or debugging the process as me. So anyway, there's several steps, and okay. I've, I've detailed this. But it's uh, uh, once I went through all that, now I can just fire up anything and, and everything works. But, so what do you wish for? I mean, what, what do you, in your utopian world of you know, a secure operating system, what do you? Th- what are some suggestions that you have for for Microsoft to, uh, you know, to to change the way that security is done here? Well, I think, along with several others uh, that they that have talked about this, is is just not make it so difficult right. to run as non-admin. Uh, see, see you know, that's the the real key. I mean, and how you make it? Do you have any suggestions for how? To do that, because I can, I, th- I th- sort of analyzed this and found a fundamental place at which, if they fixed, I think it would work. But I want to hear what you have to say, what you think that they could do specifically. Well, I, I'm actually interested to hear. I'm, oh, okay. Because for myself, I don't mind being as having to install things at admin. Yeah. But at the same time, I know for a typical user at home, they're they're not going to switch back and forth. Yeah. It's just a pain in the neck. Yeah. And so if there was some way that they can install, but, but at the same time, you don't want everybody to be able to install, right. able to install things. I mean, for example, I have children that they use the computer. They run as a normal user. I certainly don't want them to install things. So I don't think that necessarily is the solution. Yeah. It seems to me that the problems come in where if you're running from the keyboard and the mouse, if you're executing an application as a human being, you know, you want full privilege. If but but these programs that sort of run, you know, that that get installed, they're they're run by scripts, they're run by processes, they're spun, they're downloaded, they're spun off, they're started by machines, but they're started within the context of a user of a, user. Of a human user. Right. And so there isn't any differentiation between uh, you know, a context for a human being and a context for a piece of software that was spawned by something. And if there was a difference there, fundamentally, then it would be easy, I think, to determine what is, you know, what is a threat and what is not. So if I, I well, that, that sounds like an extension of Codex's security in a yeah, way. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Because, because I mean, that's in a, in a way, that's sort of where Longhorn is going as I agree. well. And that and, was the answer that I got from Microsoft was, well, that's exactly what we're trying yeah. to do in Longhorn. Because when you have managed code, then you, that, that you walk solved. the stack, you find out who right. started this mess. And, you know, if, it, if they have permission, then X, yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, how do you do that within the context of existing software? I don't know. You know, that's not managed code. That's not managed code. That that's yeah. that is it. Uh, but at the same time, and I, and I think you know, I've seen this in the last couple of days. There was something about, well, how can you live the least privileged lifestyle? And and un- ultimately, it said, I wait like for that. <laughs> yeah, the least privileged lifestyle. I love it. Ultimately, <laughs> uh, this article said, wait for Longhorn. Yeah, no, you can't do that. That's and not you can't an do that. That's not the answer. Yeah. That, that really isn't the answer. But at the same time, there are limitations to what you can do right now. I mean, it's just not native. Right. And it is a learning curve. It, it's a painful learning curve. Yeah. But it's there. 
those of you who are doing web forms development should definitely check out Telerik RAD, R-A-D, Controls Suite, the UI Essentials for Rapid ASP.NET Development, online at www.telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. They're a new sponsor, and uh, we've taken their tools for a test drive here, and we like what we see. This indispensable collection of components cover the major aspects of most web applications, from the CMS backbone and the WYSIWYG editor to navigation, content rotation, and charting. Telerik has just released version Q1 2005 of the RAD control suite, which features new major versions of their tree view, panel bar, and charting components. The company has been prominent for frequent releases, so you can expect something new every month. RAD Controls is not merely a collection of ordinary controls, but rather a value set of products, many of which are market leaders in their respective categories. They've received a number of industry awards and recognitions. Moreover, as of June 2004, a modified version of their flagship control, the HTML content editor called RAD Editor, has been made available by Microsoft as a replacement of the default HTML placeholder in Microsoft Content Management Server 2002. All the individual controls can also be purchased separately. If you only need navigation components, for example, you can opt in for the subset called RAD Navigation Suite. A subscription option is also available, which entitles you to new products and free updates for one year. So you should definitely check them out. Telerik RAD Control Suite Q1 2005 for ASP.NET at www.telerik.com. Steve uh, Lundahl from Lundahl Corporation in Canterbury, New Hampshire, asks, Robert, do you have suggestions for making the switch running as admin to running as least privilege on systems that have tons of software installed on them? Do I bother to try to reclaim my existing username, which is an admin account, or just create a new account and deal with it? Any suggestions on how to proceed? Okay, so if I understand if I understand correctly, you installed all of this software as an admin, as that user currently that you're currently running as, mm-hmm. and I'm you know I would hope that uh, you would have taken some advice that I think I've heard before, where you renamed the admin. You're not running as an administrator all the time; that you may yeah. have renamed that account. But let's yeah. say that let's say that you did for sake of argument. Mm-hmm. Try taking it out of the administrator. Group now necessarily you don't want no admin on the machine. I mean, obviously you need to have right. uh, some some user, but I mean that and that user is still admin. That that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> well, it's like the same issue that we all sort of deal with in a, in a sense. It's similar that you know you're you're. And, you know, granted, XP has been much better, but, you know, up until 2000, I would say, your computer had like a window of time when it worked and worked well. And after a while, you just got so sick of the issues that you just repave it, you know? Right. Unfortunately, it's not an option anymore. I want to say it's not an option. I mean, yeah. I I have repaved and repaved and repaved so many times when I've I've been caught by this. I mean, there was a time, as I mentioned, I've run as administrator. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, well, I want to live the, the real non-admin life. Yeah. How do I do it? And unfortunately, <laughs> my solution life. was to repave. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, I said, uh, you know, forget this, wipe it out, start over. Right. First thing I do, have my administrator, rename it, install a couple things. Right. Of course, and the other thing is create my least privileged user. Yeah. And then basically run as that other user and never ever go back in as the other, the administrator user, except for the times when I need to update or something like that. Yeah. The other thing is, of course, I also install everything as much as possible mm. offline. Yes. I do not Good connect idea. my computer until I know for sure the firewalls are in place and, right. and you know all the protection is in place. And I have a long list of things that I make sure is on that computer and ready to go. 
yeah. you know, any service packs that I might have on on CD or DVD, all those kinds of things in place before I ever connect to the internet. Yeah. Because if I if I pop that out there, no protection, nothing, then I'm going to be hit in a in just a matter of of a mm. few minutes. Mm. Uh, Mike Miller from Florida, musical Mike. He says, "Hey Carl, here's an interesting issue." Uh, if you were to give ASP.NET administrative privileges, isn't it true that if a hacker were to somehow control ASP.NET remotely, it could use it to execute, read, and write files on the server? Basically, what is the safest permission level to set ASP.NET? And I would say leave it right where it is. Leave it man. right where it is. I mean, it comes as a limited user. It's limited, yeah. It is, yes. It's already that way, Yes. Yeah, and it doesn't have access to any files that you don't give it access to. For you can you know this is true because you know the little file upload uh, tool that comes right. with as an HTML control. You run it as a server control. It's a little file thing, and you can use that to upload files. Well, on the server, you have to write them somewhere. You have to save them, and you can't save them unless you create a directory that has you know permissions, and you specifically give write permission to the ASP.NET user. Right. Otherwise, and we're talking about anonymous ASP.NET here, obviously. Right. What interesting uh, story, a funny story in a way. I remember when I was first using .NET, I mean the full ver- full version of it at 1.0, and I was trying to get it to work. There were some problems with it, and it was ASP.NET. And you know, ASP.NET or ASP.NET rather was the user that was was set up in machine config. It's it's the uh, mm. it's just the regular user. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, I can't get it to work. What can I do? And I did a Google search, as everybody does, and I found some document. And I thought it was from Microsoft. And I'm pretty sure it was. Anyway, it said, if it doesn't work, change it to system. No, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, what? <laughs> change it to system. <laughs> and, of course, if I have my process or any process running, uh, especially in this case with an anonymous user as system, you know, guess what it can do? And, yep. and so I, I couldn't believe that. Now, obviously – You'll yeah, see crazy. that in machine config in the comments. You could you could put it as put your user as system, but definitely, definitely don't do that to solve a problem. Never do that to solve a yeah, problem. Right. So I got kind of a flip side of that of answering that question. Definitely don't give ASP.NET administrator privilege. You know, one thing that is uh I'll tell you one thing about ASP.NET that always confuses people and it confuses me and because it's not very well documented, and this is just totally off the subject, and I know you're gonna like this is that when you're doing a website, an ASP.NET website that uses Windows security, mm. and you're trying to limit like who can access it based on Windows, I mean, there's like seven different steps that you have to go through before you can actually get the settings in the config file to, to work. And uh, first thing you have to do is take off administrative, I'm sorry, take off uh, anonymous access. Right. And then you either have to use a, a, you know, a clear text uh uh, password or and or integrated security. Um, typically, you're going to therefore want to be on an HTTPS secure channel. Otherwise, uh, you know, uh, if you're using clear text anyway, then people will be able to send their well, yeah, username basic and password. Authentication right, or, basic right. authentication. Yep. Uh, and after you do that, then you have to go into the, the uh, web config. And when you do your allow and deny uh, clauses there... Under authorization, you, the order of which you do them is significant. Right. I didn't find that out until, you know, weeks of hacking. Uh, I couldn't find that in the help file. And some, some alert listener is going to send me the, you know, the link in the help file. Here, you dumbass. This is where it is. But, okay. So, I may have missed it. But, um, but essentially, you know, if you want to only allow a certain list of users and or roles, and deny everybody else. Well, if you put the deny first, nobody can get in. Right. Because the processes, those allow and deny uh, tag, uh, I guess you would call them, uh, you know, XML uh, elements. Tags, elements. Text, yeah. yeah, elements. It processes them in the order that they, they go. Right. Yeah. That sucked. Yeah. You know? <laughs> config files, man. Gah. I hate config files. Well, it actually brings out another point is security's hard. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's not easy. Especially uh, you know, for developers, you know, that we're yeah. not used to that uh, kind of restriction placed upon us. We like to believe we have free reign, you know? Right, right, <laughs> right. 
I mean, you know, there are tools and, and, and things to try to make it better. But ultimately, I, I remember asking Keith Brown this. We were talking about you – know, we were talking about penetration testing and other kinds of testing. You know, what are some good tools out there? And, and he said, you know, actually mm-hmm. the best tool is your brain. Yeah. He said, well, you, okay. you just have to think about it. But it is hard. It's yeah. hard to, to get – you know, for some people, it takes a while to put their head around that and think, you know, what can I do? How can I do this? To make it secure, because we're not thinking about we're thinking about getting it done. We want to make sure it works. And security is not one of those things, especially security is not one of those things that can be an add-on. Mm. It needs to really be thought about from the beginning to the end. Yeah, and that doesn't come naturally. No, and it only obviously comes from learning from from mistakes. So oh, somebody's going to have to make the mistakes before they can apply. Uh, you mentioned um, penetration testing. Now I know. Uh, some companies up near you, like uh, Pat Hines Company, um, yeah, Pat Hines Company and uh, Critical Sites. Critical Sites, thanks. And uh, yourself, you do, you do this penetration testing like as a service to other companies. What uh, what are what are typically the things that that you do? I mean, do you set up like a room full of machines and just hammer their websites and try to hack in, or do you have scripts that run? Do you do you get a bunch of people in a room or? You know how do, how does one go about trying to hack into uh, somebody's site? Well, some of these are are just tools that you're using that, okay. that mimic some of those things. Uh, okay. They're looking for those vulnerabilities uh, that may be looking, for example, for SQL injection or cross site scripting. And, Wouldn't it be easier to look by looking at the code? You know, uh, certainly, certainly that can be part of it. But what we're okay. talking about is how I mean. Your attacker outside doesn't have access sure, to the code. Sure, So we're just trying to figure out how can they get it. But there's another okay. element to it I find is really interesting uh, that's part of penetration testing as well, and that is finding out as much as you can about a company and their site mm. without even looking at their site. Yeah. There's – and this is interesting to me is that mm. Google is the attacker's best friend. Right. <laughs> I can go in – I can go in and, and put in your company name. Yeah. And I'll get back information, and I can drill down. Uh, I, in fact, I did this uh, recently when I was just trying to figure out what a competitor was using. I just simply went to their careers. Yeah. And I see, oh, they're looking for an administrator for a Linux box. Uh-huh. They have, wow. They're looking for someone who has 400, that manages up to 400 Linux boxes. And I think, wow, they've got quite a setup. You, are, so, do you read mystery novels? Uh, no. Well, no. I like them, though. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, this is some of the things that you can do is that you can find – the other thing that they, they will do is if you have employees, for example, who post to news groups and say, I've got a problem, and they post the code right yeah. there yeah. and say, I can't get this to work. Here it is. And right. they put mine, you know, their name at such and such company. Yeah. Now, if I'm searching for that company, that comes up in the news group search. Right. Right there, I already have some inside information into your company. Yeah. Uh, there are also other tools where Fortunately, I can, I mean, hopefully they would have the brains not to put passwords and things in there. You but, hope not, but I've seen it. Have I've you seen really? It. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's, it's, it's well known out in the in the security community that this is... That's insane. It's there. People do this. Get you, a brain. You, your employees, I mean, they blog things, of course, and they, they talk about all kinds of things about your company. It's right there out in mm. public mm. view. Mm. The other thing is, uh, you know, just there's some tools to find out what kind of server you're running. Uh, mm-hmm. to find out how, how patched you are or not patched so that we know, okay, these vulnerabilities are probably there. Uh, so, you know, so, like, so tools like InMap and Nessus and others like that, they'll give you all kinds of information. So there are all kinds of ways before you even get to the site to find out, do I have any kind of uh, you know, vulnerabilities on my site? And this is all part of penetration testing, trying to find out any kind of information that I might be able to obtain to find out about your system, how vulnerable it might, vulnerable it might be. Because mm-hmm. that's the key. If you've got a Linux system and I keep trying to test it like a Windows system, I'm going nowhere. Mm. Or vice versa, if, you know, another kind of system. Mm-hmm. So the more I know about your system, the better I'm able to get back in and, yeah. or get in and at least and t- and try various methods. Mm. And so that's part of it as well. But again, you know, we've talked about the certainly the, the various tests against the site. Mm-hmm. Uh, the code, like I said, they may not necessarily have access to the code, and we're just right. trying to determine, you know, am I able to, to get in from the front door? Yeah. So what do you do for fun at this coffee group that, uh, you know, what is that all about, this... Uh, oh, the new group? 
Well, actually, we haven't started yet. Okay. <laughs> it start... sounds like a bunch of developers that get together, have coffee, and talk about code. But Well, kind of. I, I, it's in a way there, <laughs> I guess. It could be like that. Um, Speaking of coffee, I'm going to have some right now. There you go. Well, let me tell you a little bit about that. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's Code Brew is what, what it's called, and it, it, we didn't originate the term. Actually, uh, uh, Bill Evan came up with this, uh, I think, a f- about four or five months ago mm-hmm. in St. Louis. Uh, of course, Bill with Ineta, mm-hmm. and he had posted on his blog, that, you know, I've been going to these user groups. I, I really enjoy the user groups, but it, but occasionally I want to I dig a little deeper. Right. I want to to see – you know, if we can maybe get a group together and and talk about some things a little bit more. Everybody contributes. Yeah. We'll gather around, have laptops and so forth, yeah. and just figure out some some things. You know, talk about patterns or talk mm. about uh, various problems and, and just dig a little deeper. The mm-hmm. other thing is that everybody contributes. Mm. You know how in a user group you have one person who's presenting and everybody just listens and they, they go on their merry way. Mm-hmm. In a code brew, at least how he put it together and what we're wanting to do as well, and others across the country and I believe the world as well are, are looking at this, is – it's like the old study groups. Yeah. And this is actually – I mean I have been thinking about this for over a year. Mm. I had written a post on you know what happened to the patterns groups, mm. you know, and especially I thought for .NET programmers. You know, it seems like the Java people and, and even before that, the small talk and so forth – used to really talk about patterns right. and have these study groups. And I said, well, you know, what, what about .NET? Why not .NET programmers having something like that? Not necessarily that patterns, uh, you know, patterns are very gen- general, yeah. generic. Yeah. But at the same time, why not, you know, a bunch of us who are .NET people get together and talk about these sure. complicated, or not complicated, but, you know, more in-depth topics that may not necessarily be presented yeah. uh, the detail Actually, I like. see a lot of I see a lot of presenters. Maybe it's just a New England thing, but I see a lot of – Pattern-based topics. Uh, well, it's not that they're not presented; they are. Yeah, but it's getting everybody involved in talking about them, okay. studying them, and, yeah. and every week coming together. And again, just like the patterns sure. groups used to do. Sure. Uh, so that was my idea. Why don't we have that? Uh, and then someone said, "Hey, that sounds like a great idea." And then we just kind of talked about it here in the Boston area, or in the Boston area, and. Then someone mentioned, hey, Bill's got this code brew. Why don't we do that? And so that's how that originated. Dave Boss says they're also known as Nerd Dinners, <laughs> HTTP www.nerddinner.com. So they, they've been doing that in Portland. I know Rory uh, Blythe and Scott Hanselman, Chris Sells, and those guys out there. Uh, I don't know if they started it out there, but uh, the Portland Nerd Dinner was a thing just like that, where they all got together, had dinner, and uh, and talked about some of those uh, things. Yeah. Okay. So Dave says nerddinner.com slash blog slash Chicago. That's his. Yeah. Um, and there's one in Boston too. We also have. Oh, so there's a nerd dinner in Boston. Absolutely. There's okay. one in Boston as well. But I think we tried to start one in Connecticut, but there's, I don't know. Well, the interesting thing about that, that one is, and actually kind of out of that, we talked about doing the co-brew is that mm. we really don't, we do talk about code. We do talk, but we don't really, we're not, I guess, in depth, if you will, okay, yeah. it's, it's more of a social time. Right, just, right. Just get together, have fun, yeah, drink beer. And that's true. Yeah, dinner. that's more what nerd dinners are. They're more like yeah. geek, geek social hour. So what we're talking about is is really digging into the stuff with a laptop, and cool. you know, not necessarily having dinner. You, you sort of have, have to be selective with those things too. Though you don't want just every, you know, like a wiki. Somebody coming up and saying, "Okay, like this guy came up to me yesterday and said, can you like." Um, to figure out if you can write a uh, program that does personality profiles uh, based on uh, astrology. <laughs> no, you don't want that. You know, so <laughs> you sort of need a filter. You know, you yeah. you want to take the the people who have the most to contribute into to get them in front of everybody else, or or maybe three or four of them, and collaborate and. Uh, it's always a tricky thing, especially with people. It is. I mean, right now it's a small group. I, yeah. I you know, I, I. I predict it's probably going to always be a small group. And yeah. if it's, you know, we get more interest, then I would think maybe some more groups. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it by its nature, it'll probably be a small group anyway because of the type of involvement. Uh, everybody contributes <laughs> and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds cool. So um, other than security, what kind of uh, – what kind of applications you've been writing? What kinds of things have been really stirring your fancy these days in the in .NET world? What are you interested in? Well, on uh, some other things that I'm interested in, I do a lot of database work as well. I mean, that 
actually along with database, and this kind of comes out of my like math. DBA stuff or not necessarily DBA. No, it's it's more definitely application oriented, okay. store procedures and, mm-hmm. and some indexing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, out of that, or rather, in related to my math background, I've always enjoyed. I actually write SQL. I love to write SQL. Yeah, really? <laughs> yes. Really? Yeah. Dude, it's, it's, man, you know, I like I like SQL for the most part, but joins always just screw me up. I mean, and, see, and I, it's a simple thing right. that I know that it, it's a mind block, but, you know, left join, inner join, outer join, right join, what the, come on. See, man, I love that stuff. And that, because to that's, to me, that's set theory. That's way yeah. back in, in what I did in college. Hey, yeah. this is set theory again. The other thing about that is that... My musical brain just doesn't get that for some reason. So I leave that up to the other people. Well, I found it, it's kind of funny, I found a challenge. One time I went to, to a, a place, I think it was an interview or something like that, and we were talking about database work. Yeah. And this guy mentioned to me some other guru, database guru, who said, mm-hmm. you know, I, I put together this query, and I was so proud of myself, it took three or two or three minutes to run. Yeah. The guru came in, looked at it, changed a couple of things, made the thing bigger, yeah. but it ran in two seconds. Yeah. You and, go. you know, when I heard that, I said, wow, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I've spent a lot of time trying to perfect that and understand how do you make wow. this thing quick. Uh, but along with the database, I've also been looking at some of the new things that are coming out with SQL Server 2005. Sure, yeah. And as I mentioned, I'm very interested in distributed applications or any kind of application development. And, yeah. and the, one of the most exciting things, I think, is the service broker. I've been talking about that, Tell looking about at that. It. Well, Service Broker is a new application framework that sits on top of SQL Server, in this case, SQL Server 2005. It's, I mean, some people will say it's almost like putting MSMQ inside the database. Mm. It's a queued application. Mm. It's allowing you to set up messages, message types, mm. uh, contracts, mm. and dialogues or, or, or conferences between, uh, between, or conversations rather, between one database and another database. Mm. Uh, you know, before you might have uh, an MSMQ that's kind of managing that, or maybe in a BizTalk that's managing that, sending messages back and forth between databases. You might have multiple databases, for example, uh, in a cus- you know, if you have an e-commerce site and you have orders and yeah. uh, shipping and so forth, and you're yeah. keeping them separate, and you want to have a mess a way of of uh, dealing with those, moving them around, and using messaging to do that. Mm. Service Broker is a great example of, of our solution to do that, but inside the database, hmm. out instead of outside. And what that gives you is uh, allows you, because it's part of the database, it allows you to back up and restore. Hmm. It uh, is all transactional. Uh, every message is transactional, so it's reliable. Uh, it's not two-phase like MSMQ. Mm-hmm. It's just straight in the database. It's very fast. Uh, but the other thing about it is, and, and this is I've seen come up recently, is you know what another messaging solution? Right. You know we've got Indigo coming out, and Indigo is supposed to be like the all-encompassing messaging. Right. right. And then like of course about. BizTalk and yeah. MSMQ, all these messaging applications. Now we've got one more, and, right. and of all places in the database. Right. But I think about it as it's another tool. Yeah. If I own two databases behind my service, now you wouldn't. I don't think you wouldn't want to do this from you know, cross boundaries. Sure. But if you have two or three databases that you own behind your service and you already have something on top of it, mm. why go through all that overkill? Now you can actually use the databases themselves to manage the messages. You set up your queues, you know, pop so your message in. I'm trying to get an idea of how this works from the code perspective. So you have business objects that in the, in, you know, today talk to ADO.net to, you know, the data provider to access these, uh, databases and store procedures, are you saying that you now talk to the service directly instead of uh, talking to the store prox? Well, you can you can put in a message into your queue. Okay. And then... Such as? Well, like your order. Okay. I just grabbed an order or an order was placed. I've, I've have the format of that order. You right. know, that's my, con- you know, that's my uh, message type. Right. I place that and inside. And it's asynchronous. You just place it and go away, right? Place it and go away. And yeah. then I don't have to worry. It's right. It's asynchronous. And the other thing about that is that uh, while that's on the queue, it's also queued to fire off a program. It okay. could fire off a store procedure to process that, right? store it, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it also may know to send that to another database. Let's say I put it in, in my orders. 
and now I know that it needs to be sent to shipping. And so yeah. that happens automatically for me. Okay. And then I might have a receipt back to know that everything worked fine. Right, an event handler or something. Right. So it sounds, yeah, it sounds like you, if you throw a designer on there, you've got BizTalk, right? That's what it sounds In a way. Like. Yeah. <laughs> In a way. I mean, that's why people are like, what are we doing? Does why it have we... a designer? Is there a designer? No, not, not really. Not really. Uh, you know, right now it's still straight SQL. That, that's, that's the thing is that it's... Huh. You know, it's it's a database application. It's it's especially for those who are writing database applications. Mm. Now there is some sample code out there uh, that I've been playing with that provides an object model around this because it, again, it, the way to set it up is you go through your SQL statements. Uh, Q, for example, is a real fully qualified type in SQL Server now. Underneath, it's really a table, but it acts like a queue, a real queue. And you would just set, you'd set that up. You'd set up your message types and so forth. This, That's, pro- this product name we're talking about again, what is it? SQL service S- Brokers. Service Brokers. The, the, okay. I mean, it's called Service Broker, but the full name is SQL Server 2005 Service right. Broker. Okay. So all of that is, is straight SQL at the moment. But to manipulate it, to work with it, there is some sample code out there that it provides an object model mm-hmm. to be able to do all of this through the object model. So in, okay. you know, in, your, in your C-sharp... Uh, VB.net or whatever code, I can manipulate mm. this outside. Mm. Wow. That sounds pretty cool. So so this would be obviously another solution to use in a high-volume, high-scaling you know, web application. Absolutely. Uh, and you think it's a little bit more simple to use than, uh, than message queue, for example? I, I don't know if it's simple or, yeah, or you know, know. Right now, I mean, everything's it's, it's, easy when you know the I, answers, right? Right. I have to say, <laughs> I have to say, it's it te- has taken me a while to wrap my head around it. Yeah. And I'm still trying to figure it out. I mean, they're obviously it's still well, in beta. Yeah. They're still trying. You know, they're still playing with it, and it's still, uh, you know, I'm part of the news groups and I follow those and see what's going on. But it's not something that just comes automatically. There, there are a lot of steps to it. Uh, so that could be a little bit of a learning curve. But I, I definitely know looking at the sequel. Yeah. It makes sense to me. And for a database developer who wants to put this together, I think they would be able to do that mm. relatively easy. Mm. Um be. Yes. C sharp would be specifically. What's what's uh, I mean, generics are the big thing. Obviously, right. um you've have you have you been able to put them to use? Not not really. Beta? Not yeah. really. I mean I, I've played with them a little bit just to understand what's what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Uh my my thing, of course, being security, I, I like the secure string, uh, that coming out. I mean, I've been wanting – I've been – Well, tell us about that. Well, one of the, the things that has kind of been a, a problem when you're passing around strings, that anything that's that you place in a string because it's immutable is that I can't clear it, yeah. at least easily. I don't have any control over it. And so you know, there is a way that you can, you can write some code today that try to mimic that. Uh, but what they're providing is a way to say, okay, this is a secure string, so that when I'm done with it, it is done. It's 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 oh. empty, it's cleared. Obviously, you're you're trying to avoid the situation where somebody's debugging memory and and exactly. trying to decompile and find your literal string. Exactly, exactly. Not decompile, but just browsing. Well, memory, yeah, browsing for memory and, and saying yeah. there. Yes, absolutely, exactly. Okay, so that's that's cool to me. That's a a framework data type in Widby, a secure string, or is that a C sharp only thing? Uh, no, that actually, I don't. I don't know. I don't think it's specifically well, if it's a data C-sharp. type. Then it must be a, a framework. I would think it's framework. Yes. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Very cool, actually. Yeah. yeah the The string is. Uh, we could talk about the string probably for, geez, for a long time. That's right. a That's a pretty sophisticated piece of code. Um, the string. I always tell people when I'm talking about reference types and value types and the different types that we have in the framework that the string is sort of neither. You know, it's like a reference type that thinks it's a value type, right. an immutable reference type, and that's um, you know, it, it's it's kind of hard to to get, I think. Right, right. I mean, the other thing, I mean, what I'm excited about would be is is when it gets released is the thing that comes after that, and that's Rotor. Yeah, uh, I've also been a big fan of Rotor. Uh, now, Rotor, is, we're talking about the shared source CLI. The shared source CLI, right? Right. Uh, that to me has been, uh, I think, one of the the biggest, greatest contributions that's come out of .NET in terms of a learning tool. Yeah. Now, I, I like a bunch of others have used Eldasm and Reflector, and it's great to go in and see what's going on. Right. But with the shorts, uh, shared source CLI or Rotor 
code, which is really essentially a, kind of a one o. It's a one o drop. Yeah, uh, at least part of it. It's it's their implementation of the CLI. Right. You grab that. You look at that. And it, it to me, it's just going through that code, it, you understand a lot more because mm-hmm. you can go from class to class. And obviously, mm-hmm. you can kind of do that reflector. You, mm-hmm. can, you can go in and say, show me the source and take a look at it. But right. having the source right there in front of you is just a great learning tool. Mm. And the other thing I've done with that is I've, I've also run Rotor on FreeBSD. Mm. Uh, I did that, I think it was last year. So you've year. actually changed some yeah, assemblies, I, recompiled I've changed them some and, things and played with it and huh. see what it does just yeah. to figure out how's this working. Yeah. But I think when it comes out, a little bit after Widby comes out with 2.0. 2.0 Rotor. And yeah. get a 2.0 Rotor, I think it's going to be fantastic <laughs> because we're going to see all the other stuff, the new stuff right. they put in. And how it works. And how it works, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, they don't release everything. Right. You know, they, they, there's a certain limit. I mean, they're not going to release ASP.NET and things like that. But some of the basic CLI uh, specs, they do write out. You get to see it. Mm. And it's a really great learning tool. And, of course, that's what it is. It's a learning yeah. tool. You, sure. You're not supposed to develop things with it. Nick Enns from Withheld in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, asks, Hey, guys, here's my question. I work as a .NET developer. And our IT department doesn't give us admin rights to our PCs or the users. Therefore, we have a real problem deploying .NET apps. Do you guys have a solution to deploying .NET applications that does not require you to have admin rights to the PC that you're installing it on? The biggest hang-up that we seem to have is with applications that use Crystal Reports. Uh, well, I'm curious how, they, <laughs> how they're doing it now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if they don't have Thanks. it at all, uh, that's a tough one. It is a tough one. So many uh, seemingly unsolvable problems here, yeah. you know, or at least the, you know beyond the scope of mere mortals like us. It's uh, that's tough. We should have a uh, a call in show on security sometime. Yeah. You know, we should maybe post it in advance that we're going to do this, and anybody who's got security solutions that have worked. Or, or that uh, have failed, you know, call in and tell us your stories. Why not? Go ahead and send us your stories. Send them to uh, .NET Rocks at franklins.net. Success stories, failure stories, story stories, you know, if you just want to uh, vent, go ahead and tell us. We'll read it on the air. Uh, worked with ASP.NET 2.0 at all? Have you looked at it in terms of what it, uh, you know, the architecture and stuff? Some. I've looked at some of the uh, – well, again, with security, I've looked at some of the login forms, the yeah. new login forms, and just kind of playing with it. See how easy it is to put something like that together. seems like they've really bolted a lot of new high-level stuff onto ASP.NET 1.1 to make it uh, much easier. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, but that's extent. I haven't – yeah, yeah, you know, I'm still. It's pretty much I'm right where you where you are. Well, I mean, my in my day job, I'm I'm still in one one. Uh, you know, I do a lot of as as I mentioned, I'm a consultant, and I do a lot of uh, you know development still in one one. Uh, all this other stuff is just the fun stuff. You know, the service broker and other things like that. It's the fun stuff where I'm just trying yeah. to figure out what's new, what's coming down the uh, the pike, and and maybe talking about it and and tell yeah. some others about and speaking it. Speaking of what's new and coming down the pike and talking about it, um you're going to be speaking at any user groups or conferences or anything pretty soon uh, soon enough that we should know about. You want to plug? Uh well one that I can mention is CodeCamp is coming out. There's another CodeCamp locally that's coming up in March. I've got in Boston. A, in Boston. Yep. Uh I've got a few topics that I've already submitted on uh mostly security. I I'm talking about some of those features I just mentioned on on an ASP.NET yeah. 2.0 security, and then also some penetration testing, talking about uh, some of the tools and, and how those work. And then also uh, some of the other features, some new features in SQL 2005 uh, security, and maybe even Service Broker again. I, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I like Service Broker, but yeah. right now uh, it's because it's so new, it's okay, here's a sample. Is that cool? Hello, yeah. hello, world. Right. Uh, what else can you do with it? Right, well, right. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm learning that myself. What else can I do with this? What can right. I really build? And so that's what I'm working on now is just trying to figure out some real applications because it, it's going to come down the line as well. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, any uh, last minute words of wisdom or advice you want to impart on our listeners before we wrap it up? Give it a try. Run is not admin. At least, at least no, once. No, really. At least once. <laughs> at least once. Give okay. it a try. Give it a try and 
And then, and then if it doesn't work, curse me and throw stuff at me. I don't care. But at least try. At least try to run as your, as your user, live as your user for a moment and see yeah. what it's like. Run, their, run your own application and see what it's like. Right. Uh, and, and employ some good tools to help you. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, listen, Robert, it's been a great pleasure. I, I really, really enjoyed this talk. And um, too bad Rory had to miss it. But, man, hope you feel better, my friend. And, uh, well, you know, have a good week and uh, enjoy – Enjoy living as user in that least privileged lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Good night. Good night.